If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. The first quilt I made was so ugly, and I didn't actually like half the fabrics. So after that, when it came together, I realized that I had to like every fabric I put in a quilt. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, and I'm coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. Now, if you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing utensil with needle and thread attached at high speed. This week, I've been doing a lot of live streaming, which in my mind is a gamer's paradise, but it turns out there are lots of quilters who stream too. I'm very much an introvert, so it's been a great surprise to me to find that I thoroughly enjoy doing these interactive broadcasts. In them, I'm usually quilting one full project in real time from beginning to end. All the thread breaks and oopses are included, and viewers are able to ask questions and receive answers in real time. So it becomes this very satisfying quilting bee sort of event. If you're interested in viewing some of these, check out my YouTube channel, Stitched by Susan. Now, my philosophy is there's just nothing as warm and comforting as a handmade quilt. There are, of course, so very many quilt makers and just as many stories, because quilting has been a bridge between generations. It has soothed loneliness and chronic pain, and it's been a beautiful expression of art and creativity that spans countries and cultures. Joining me today to tell us her story is Julia Ward. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to Pins and Needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Because we're talking with a long armor today, I thought I would bring you a tip that applies to machine quilting, and it works whether at your long arm or at your domestic machine. So picture this, you're quilting a light colored quilt, let's say a white um, background on your quilt top, and you're quilting along and all your areas are secure, and you notice that behind that white background is one lonely dark thread. And how in the world do you get that out? And you can't leave it in. It will just show and drive you crazy. There's a number of ways that you can try, but there is a tool I found that's really helpful for that. And it's made by Dritz and it's called a snag nabbit. So this is like a needle. It's got the pointed end of a needle on one end, but on the other end, instead of an eye, it's got a roughened area on that end of the needle, which you basically feed it behind the 
top of your quilt and the point of your needle comes up right by that errant thread. And when you pull the needle through, then that textured end snags that dark piece of thread and just pulls it right out. It's a really ingenious tool. One little word of caution, because that end is burred and quite rough, it is possible, ask me how I know, it's possible to actually tear a fiber in your quilt top and create a tiny hole and you really don't want that. So be very, very gentle and delicate with your touch when pulling that thread through. But used carefully and with caution, it can be a really, really helpful tool. So once again, it's called a Dritz Snag Nabbit, and I'll put a link to the tool in the show notes for you. You guys know I love my coffee. So if you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. Thank you so very much for your support. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup of hot something as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Julia is a military wife, mom to a couple of precocious girls, and quilting is her passion. And most recently, Julia has launched a long-arm quilting business. So we'll tell you more about that as we get into our visit. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. This is great. I recently, um, well, I've been a follower for a while on Instagram of your feed, but I recently saw that you have launched a brand new business and that piqued my interest. And I thought this might be a great chance to visit and talk about your story and what's brought you to this position today. So who or what kind of launched you into quilting and when was that? Well, let's see. My husband and I got married in September of 2006, and then he deployed two months later. So I went home to stay with my mom, and I was incredibly bored, and I couldn't get a job, and I was only there for a few months. So I said, please just teach me something. She had recently met up with some friends of hers, and they had a little quilting group. So she took me along and taught, and they... uh, taught me about rotary cutters and fabric and I loved it and I took off from there and uh, never looked back. So was your mom not a quilt maker when you were growing up? This was kind of newer to her too or part of her life? Right. She sewed clothes. She's one of 10. So she sewed her own clothes for a long time and she made us a lot of clothes when we were younger, but uh, no, never quilt making. How fun. So coming in in 2006, then, you, you know, already the, the modern conveniences, the time-saving tools are already in place. So that's kind of cool that you got to come in and be introduced to those right off the bat. Yeah, it was really neat. What kind of uh, style of quilt did you gravitate to? Do you love the scrappy or do you love the modern aesthetic or kind of what's your what's your taste there? What did you at least start with? I started with the first quilt I made was so ugly and I didn't actually like half the fabrics so after that when it came together I realized that I had to like every fabric I put in a quilt and from there I like all of them as long as I like the fabric but I definitely love a scrappy quilt I like a modern quilt sometimes my brain can't really wrap around how to do that but I really enjoy them and honestly let's not be stuck in a groove we're free to love all the quilts if we want to (laughs) true true 
So you mentioned that you are a military wife. Have you done a fair bit of traveling? Have you had a chance to explore quilts in other places than the U.S.? I wish I had. Um, we lived in Germany when I was just starting, which is, um, but I didn't really explore quilting there necessarily. But it, it is fun to meet people from all over that quilt. And uh, the people I met in Germany when I was a young spouse, and they're sending me quilts now to work on, which is pretty neat. That is remarkable. So, how does that work? I don't have any quilts in my quilting business that come from overseas. Is that relatively easy to do or is that kind of a big deal? Well, these people are people who are working um, on the bases there in Germany. Okay. Uh, so they have what's called APO um, addresses so they can mail it through the U.S. postal system. So it's okay. not difficult. That kind of makes sense. Well, how cool is that though, that you get to quilt projects from Germany? I love that. So maybe let's go there for a minute since we've already arrived. What does your quilting business look like? Like what are the type of clients that you cater to and what type of quilting do you love to do? Well, I really gravitate more towards uh, kind of a geometric design, something that's not as, um, uh, how would I say it? Not necessarily a novelty pantograph. So something that would look good, would add texture um, adds to the design by adding another element to it, but not having, you don't have to look really closely to see what is that on the quilt. Okay. So not necessarily flowers or chess pieces or baseball gloves, but maybe more of a repeating like diamonds or clamshells that, am I reading that right? Exactly. Fun. Okay. And do you quilt on a digital machine or do you do hand guided pantograph type stuff? I have a digital, I have an IntelliQuilter on my camel. Okay. How fun is that? Because I'm a long arm quilter too, right? But I'm a freehander. So I'm always really curious about this. What is that learning curve like to to figure out the IT side of things? Well, you know, I think that for me, the biggest hurdle is actually just learning your machine. That putting a computer on it is fairly simple. But the things that are going to go wrong, you have to know your long arm. And so I spent a couple of years doing free motion and learning, you know, the tension's not right and you know, how to load a quilt and those kind of things. And when it came time for me to put the computer on, it wasn't as steep of a learning curve because I already knew my machine and how it worked. That makes really good sense. And I have to agree with you there. There's, you know, in Facebook groups and things like that, people are always asking questions and probably the most common is, my thread is doing this, the tension's all weird, what do I do now? Um, and there's no way, there's no shortcut to finding those answers. You have to learn your machine. Like people can give you all the tips in the world and that's great. And that's helpful. It gives you a checklist, but you have to learn your individual machine because everyone is different. Yes. Alrighty. So of course, some of my questions did relate to you traveling overseas and I was hoping you could say, yeah, I found all these cool fabric shops and awesome fabrics that I've brought back and work with now. And you've just flattened my balloon completely. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no. the prices of fabric overseas are incredibly high mm-hmm. um, and they run by the meter. And I, at that point in our career, couldn't afford them. So 
in scrolling through your Instagram feed, sometimes I couldn't tell which quilts were yours personally or you were quilting for clients, but there seemed to be a lot of rainbow type quilts. Is that something that you love to arrange your colors in a specific way? I do. I do love a rainbow. And uh, yeah, most of the quilts on there are mine. Um, and I have not, since my business is very new, um, I have not done very many customer quilts. I've done a few for friends, um, but most of them on my Instagram feed are my own. Um, and I do love a rainbow. I just love the way it um, greets you in the morning. Oh, you're right. That's a great way to say it. So do you, is that just something you've kind of figured out by trial and error in terms of how you arrange the colors and the, and the movement, or do you have like a favorite or two or three, um, people that you kind of follow and pick their brains in terms of color theory and color arrangement? Well, a lot of my rainbow, uh, influence came from quiet play. Okay. She's an Australian, um, paper piecing designer. She's fantastic. Um, I did her first pattern club she does um and every month she would send out a pattern with uh, a word or a um picture and then she also loves rainbows so she has a really great uh, rainbow fabric line now and so i kind of copied some of her ideas that's great it it always is um inspiring. I know that word is overused like crazy, but that is the beautiful thing about Instagram is you get to see pictures of what people are doing. And then you can take that apart a little bit and say, now, how did they get from A to B? But I do love to find someone that I can um, try to emulate when I, when I really admire their style. And I do admire yours, by the way. Thank you. So any tips for us that you've pulled together maybe about arranging your rainbows? Like, do you go from dark to light or do you make the center of the quilt lighter and darker around or any kind of favorites in arrangements that way? Because I know most people love a good rainbow quilt, but there's so many ways to do it. True. Um, I tend to have less orange and yellow in my stash and I don't love orange. So it tends to be the smallest amount. So I tend to have more greens and teals and blue, um, which you see my website, that's all teal. So um, I generally try and arrange it in a way that it doesn't, you don't notice that there are a small amount of reds and oranges and yellows. Well, you must do that very well because I had not noticed that because I would think that would make a cool looking quilt, but you must find enough of those warm colors to keep it well balanced. Um, somehow, who knows? <laughs> do you play on a design wall or do you, you know, like me have a fancy design floor or kind of, how do you, how do you do your actual arranging? I actually have a very large design wall. Um, I bought a couple pieces of insulated foam and covered it in fabric or plain actually. Um, and, uh, I love it. I couldn't, I used to design on the floor and then when small babies were around, they wanted to sit on them. So and rearrange them. A, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. So I had to have something. Um, and actually when they were young, it was a, just one board and I could move it to another room away from them. So, so do you have it affixed to the wall? In fact, maybe just take a couple seconds for our listeners in case they're wanting to set up a design wall in their um, crafting room and give them an idea of how they could go around, um, how they could get to building one for themselves. Well, so I went to Lowe's uh, and I got, a, I believe it's a one inch 
foam insulation comes in a four foot by eight foot um, section. And so I measured out on the wall where I wanted to put it. And I actually bought two pieces. So I cut the second one down. Um, and then I used a Gorilla Glue spray and lay the uh, flannel out. You have to piece it so that it fits that size that you want. And then lay it out, put the foam on top, just kind of um, stretch it over, spray glue, just like if you were uh, reupholstering a chair. Okay. And, um, I just stuck it up on the wall and put some little pins and just, it's foam, so um, pins go straight through it and little, uh, just tacked it into the wall. It's very light, so it doesn't uh, need much. Right. So you use pins to hold up your pieces then, or is the is the flannel fabric just not enough um, stickiness to hold up the weight of, of blocks? Is that kind of your reasoning there? It can actually hold them up, but the longer okay. it stays up, the more likely wind and bands uh, will knock it down. So a lot of times I will put a pin in it um, for the evening or whatnot. Good point. Good point. So th- thank you for that. That's a really easy way to make a, a cost-effective and very useful piece of equipment for your studio. And I do know ladies who have done it, as you say, with two pieces of styro and not affixed it to the wall, but just lean it up against the wall. And then you can fold them together like a book and store them in a smaller um, you know, space if you don't have a dedicated right. wall. Because not everyone has a wall that big that they can just play on. True. Okay, so back to playing with the color, because this is kind of where we started. So you're working on your design wall with your pieces then. Do you find that kind of your first instinct is the right one in terms of layout of color? Or are you one of those who tries again and tries it this way and tries it that way and keeps moving them all about? For the most part, the first try is pretty good. I, If I feel like it's not, I leave it overnight. And I come back in the morning and I can usually see what's wrong. Um, but it helps to you know step really far away or sometimes I take... A picture with my phone and turn it to black and white and that's pretty helpful so what as does what as... does that help with i've heard that tip before what's the advantage of looking at it in black and white so with the black and white you obviously don't see the color but you see the saturation so you see light versus dark so you can tell if there's a part of your quilt that's too dark uh, or too light especially with like a scrappy quilt you want to kind of mix um, those so that you because your eye will be drawn darker spots. So right. if you have all those in one section, your eye will go straight there and it will miss the rest of it. So to, to me, it seems a little bit like if you could get far enough away, you would get that same kind of result. But of course, you're within an enclosed room, so you can't really do that. So the black and white kind of covers the same bases. It lets you get I don't know, almost this, it's like looking from the wrong end of a telescope. You just get this bird's eye view of the whole thing and get a sense of it. Yes, actually, a friend of mine in my last uh, quilt guild, she used a, a door a peep, a peephole for a door. So she, she really is looking of, through a telescope backwards. Really, actually, yeah, looking through a telescope, and it, it works the same way. It somehow just makes it look far enough away that you see the different uh, lights and darks. How interesting. I was recently in a um, private quilt museum and she had one quilt that she had made that was a portrait. And you saw these more in the 90s, these quilts that were done kind of pixelated out of florals. Well, that's what she had done, but made a portrait of her mother. And she was telling the story of how she arranged those pieces. And she had a uh, like a lofted building and basically did the same thing, got herself far away 
looked at it as a whole to try and determine if that, you know, portrait was reflecting her mom. And then she would run downstairs and change out the individual squares. So same, same process, but different ways of approaching it. So I like that because I think that's really critical to getting a pleasing result when it's finished is finding a way to assess those colors and values. And of course, when you're working with scraps, there's so much variation in there. Have you ever used some type of color tool? Like, aren't there um, different colored filters that you can hold up to to look through? Have you had any success with that? I actually just bought one, but I haven't used it yet. The Ruby ruler, um, I've heard is really good for that. And it's just a red ruler. Um, and you can look through that to kind of test out color hue, but I have not used it yet. Well, we'll have to have a follow-up episode to see how that's going for you, because I'm really curious to see how that works. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Well, spend a minute, if you would, talking just a little bit more then about your business and what types of um, customers, like you're doing edge-to-edge work, right, if you're doing digital pantographs. So maybe define that for our listeners in case they aren't sure what that is, and maybe what your turnaround time is, and since we're getting into fall quilting, maybe what your schedule's looking like for doing, say, a Christmas quilt. Okay. Do a little um, promotion well, here. So, <laughs> um, let's see. So digital edge to edge means that the same design will be repeated all the way across your quilt and all the way down. So um, it's not broken apart for different blocks or different borders or anything like that. It's just edge to correct. edge quilting. Got it. Yeah. The machine just sews itself all the way across and then all the way down. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have a 12 foot frame, so I can get 120 inches on it. And uh, right now it's, I like to keep it under two weeks. I like to, I know people want their quilts back. And I know when I used to go to long armors, I was always excited to see the transformation. And uh, so right now I'm under two weeks and um, ready. Kids are at school all day. I've got plenty of time. Um, so to figure out how to start my business, because it's pretty daunting, um, I joined the Long Arm League, which is a group of long arm quilters, and they actually have what's called a rookie season, and it's invaluable. It's a step-by-step tutorial, basically, on how to start a long arm quilting business, and it starts with what to name your quilt business, and how to design a logo, and how to charge for batting, and how to get batting, and how to design a website. And um, then as part of the long arm league, they are all long arm quilters. So if you have questions, the support system is fantastic. So um, if you're looking to start a long arm quilting business, that was, uh, I don't think I could have done it without them. Fantastic. Okay. Where can folks find you? Do you want to mention your website? Is that the best way to reach you or would you prefer email? Oh, the uh, website would be great. And then there's a couple links on there for email. You can just click it and it will send it. And the website is Quilting Jewels, J-U-L-E-S. That's my nickname, Jules. Perfect. So, um, yeah. I will certainly put that link in the show notes as well. So, yes, if you're looking to have your flimsy quilted top made into a finished quilt, give Julia a buzz. She'd be happy to do that for you. Well, one last question before you go then. Do you have a little nugget of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? Can be quilting related or just life? So I've been thinking about this a lot. And one of the things that I really love about quilting and discovering quilting was that when I had kids, I had a hobby. I had something that 
I love to do. It fulfills me. And, you know, there's a lot of mom guilt, I think, um, about, you know, having to doing all the things for your children and always being there and available. And when I was quilting, I would say, you know, you'll have to hold on. I'm, I'm working on this. I'll be right there. And I felt bad about um, not necessarily ignoring them. I was never really ignoring them, but having something else. But I really think that that has been a good example for them that, you know, their mom has something that there is, you know, you can be an adult and have something that really fulfills you and that you want to do. And that showing that example, that that was something that was really important to me. Um, I think that they'll grow up and really love something and understand that that's important to do. Yes. Agreed. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for joining me this morning. It's been a short visit, but a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I wish you all success in your quilting business going forward. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or the app of your choice. It really helps other listeners to find the show so they can hear these stories too. I would love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter that they feel has a story to tell. If you know such a person, email me, please. Info at stitchedbysusan.com. And don't forget to CC the nominee as well. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted. <laughs>